It's Angela Yee, and I'm telling you right now that the Alive Podcast Network app is the best directory of podcasts created for us by us. From relationships to making money moves, there's a show that'll captivate every listener. And for my fellow Black creatives, this is a call to action to take your brand and monetization to the next level. It's for the culture. Join the movement and sign up today. Sign up today to get a six-month subscription for $20. Visit AlivePodcastNetwork.com, coming soon to iOS and Android. There's uh, gross disparities in how the war on drugs was applied across our country. Now we're fighting against years of brainwashing. A 16-year-old lad apprehended in the act of staging a holdup. 16 years old and a marijuana addict. Meanwhile, warfighters in my community are killing themselves at a rate of 22 a day. All this stuff, it's, it's, it made me feel like a complete piece of shit. I didn't want to live, you know what I mean? So we need academia to embrace it. We need our politicians to embrace it. We need our physician community to embrace it so that the patients win at the end of the day. The Up Life is a production of the Unprescribed Nonprofit. This show is made possible by contributions from supporters just like you. Subscribe to our channel and follow us on social. We are The Unprescribed. And now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to The Up Life, inspiring stories of individuals overcoming life's greatest challenges. I'm Steve Elmore, founder of The Unprescribed Nonprofit. Today we're joined by co-host Ashley Manning for a special interview with cannabis activist Andrew D'Angelo. Andrew is the co-founder and chairperson for The Last Prisoner Project, whose mission is to free and reintegrate all cannabis prisoners on earth into mainstream society. As an activist for 35 years, Andrew helped legalize medical and adult use cannabis in California and Washington, D.C. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be with you today. Happy to have you as well. Uh, we recently spoke with LPP Stephanie Shepard, who told us about her tenure incarceration for a first-time cannabis offense and how she rose above it all to prevent others from undergoing the same ordeal. So I understand you had a similar experience with a family member uh, when you were growing up that led to you becoming a cannabis activist. Tell me a little bit about that and how does it relate to your work at LPP today? Well, at the time, I did not know that it was the beginning of a, a long journey in cannabis when I visited my older brother, Steve, in prison when I was nine years old, and he was about 18 or 19. In the Washington, D.C. area, actually, my brother was, got busted at Dulles Airport with a little bit of weed and some cash. And in those days, this was early Oh, uh, mid-70s. So in the mid-70s, at Dulles Airport's in Virginia. Mm -hmm. So the laws of the great state of Virginia <laughs> applied to this particular bust. And for those of your listeners who are in the D.C. metro area, you know that Virginia has pretty, at that time, pretty draconian cannabis laws. So even though my brother had a very small amount at the time, he was locked up for, oh, several months and then had some probation he had to do for probably a couple of years after that, as I recall. But going to the prison and visiting him was a life-altering experience for me uh, because of just the intensity of... You weren't supposed to visit people at the jail my brother was locked up in until you're 10 years old. So I was only nine. We had to lie about my age, um, me and my parents. That was an interesting experience, <laughs> just uh, crafting a lie with your parents who have taught you up until that point not to lie um, was sort of ironic and absurd. Children are very in tune to 
what on it, what something being, what honesty is and what honesty is not. So, and then, you know, the jail, even if you're a nine-year-old kid, you get frisked going in there and they, you know, they're not shy about keeping you in a separate area while your parents are visiting with the, your, your brother that's locked up. And then you got to go into the visiting room all by yourself. And I couldn't even, I had to be on a little stool because I couldn't even reach the, the, the telephone. You speak through plastic and you have right. a telephone. And, um, in those days it was a telephone and, um, and my brother had this prison uniform on and was, you know, very strong and didn't, I think he was making me feel confident that nothing bad was happening to him um, and trying to make me at ease, put me at ease a little bit. How old and was he did, at the time, Andrew? How old was Steve? He was 18 or 19 years old. Okay, still a kid, basically. Yeah. Basically still a kid, right? And. Mm -hmm. And it was this jail way out in the country of Virginia. And, you know, you walk in and the Confederate flag and all the, you know, all, all the rest of it um, um, as as bad as you can imagine. Right. <laughs> it, it really was. You got a and, pretty face. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, of course, the sheriffs were very cruel. And when I was alone with them, when my parents were visiting my brother, they were lecturing me about not turning out like my older brother and stay away from marijuana and all this stuff um and that my brother was bad you know and everybody in there was bad really? and you don't, want to, you don't want to turn into a bad person yeah they were literally like, like using your brother as a bad example yeah yeah not... don't turn out wow. like your brother oh my god don't turn out like your brother and I, that obviously i even in those days um and always you know you, you younger brothers always look up to their older brothers and 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 my brother and i had a great relationship and i knew he wasn't a bad person i knew he was a good person so it was shocking to hear so get that lecture and then you know um, and then i visited my brother and then we were done and we split you know and um and then we had a four-hour drive home and my parents were divorced at the time and kind of hated each other not kind of definitely hated each other and it was kind of an awkward experience <laughs> driving four hours with two people that didn't like each other very much who were your mom and dad after visiting your other brother in prison oh my god yeah um, uh and and so the experience impacted me i didn't know of course when i was leaving that jail that i, I was gonna end up having this long journey with cannabis but you know about six years after that visit when i was an athlete and i was in high school and i was injured my brother you know gave me some cannabis to deal with my injury um i was also pretty depressed at the time and that's you know it changed my life on its own just the plant itself i know you work with a lot of veterans and a lot of people that have had trauma in their lives and i had a lot of trauma in our life my parents split up my brother went to jail my other brother died when we were kids and so it was a very hard childhood and and i carried that with me in the high school and and you know high school's usually a miserable experience <laughs> even if you're from the best of circumstances yeah, I, can, uh, <laughs> I, I would say my trauma probably started with bullying back in the 80s and it was like condoned sort of thing it wasn't like today where where bullying is actually 
an issue but, but yeah yeah they didn't even call it bullying in those days it, there was no real term for it you just you got the shit kicked out of you if you if you were a different you know uh so yeah we all had to deal with that too but so cannabis helps so when people that have experienced trauma whether it's bullying or death or divorce or just poverty or whatever it is um there's so much of it in our world right now and our our generation was sort of the first generation that you know was sort of under this threat of the decline of American society and climate change and the rise of climate change and all the rest of that. So cannabis just healed me. It healed all that trauma and it allowed me to set on a path of healing myself by other means than just cannabis. Of course, you can't just smoke weed and everything's all better in your in your life. You have to you have to do your meditations or your therapies or your exercise and your you know yeah. your whatever it is that helps you become a more whole person it's not just one thing it's many things that we right. have to that, do. that's an excellent point and exactly the model i'm following on my mentor is fabian henry he's featured in the film unprescribed uh, he's canadian who actually started the medical cannabis program in canada and today they're prescribing it to veterans and it's working. And he believes in four pillars of healing. And the first one is, you know, just cannabis is, you know, okay, that's fine. That's the plant. But it's also about finding your healing and finding your path and, and learning about your trauma. And then the fourth pillar is becoming, you know, becoming that mentor to, to help others find that path as well. That's so, terrific. Right. I love that. I, I mean, I think that's wonderful. And I'm glad that you made the movie and I'm, I think right before the program, we, you mentioned to me that it's starting to do really well and more and more people are seeing it. And, you know, that's exactly how change happens. It does, activists can, we can activate all we want to, but it, it, it's by telling the stories of the people and the patients and the folks that are coming out of trauma and the four pillars of health. Um, and th that's where the real change happens because we hit people in the heart with films and maybe even this program might move somebody, you know, that we're doing right now. So it's, 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 and sharing our stories and being vulnerable to say, Hey, I had a lot of trauma. It was a hard childhood. I'm not afraid to admit that. Um, um, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it openly. And, um, and maybe something that I did that, you know, I created a great life for myself. I really, I'm, I'm not a uber wealthy human being, but I, 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 I created a great life for myself that I'm really happy with. So, you know, it can be done no matter what, how hard the circumstances are for any individual there. It, if you follow a path of healing, it was not easy for me. I had to go through a lot of time and energy uh, and investment of resources <laughs> Um, it is a transactional healthcare system we have here. So um, there's a certain element of having to invest in that and just be okay with it. You just got to, okay, some of my after-tax money is going to go into healing myself. And that's the way it, it is. <laughs> that's the way it is right now. Well, so, and, I'm yeah, sorry, so. And, and you're reciprocating that and you're, and you're giving that back and with, by virtue of what you're doing with LPP. And one thing you mentioned to me, uh, just now about the growing up in the 80s and and having not been incarcerated but having gone through the military industrial complex of tough it up buttercup 
I've learned that myself included, um, and just like you and, and many of the veterans I know, we've all gone, a lot of us have gone through tougher lives than others. And then we get into the military and when we're taught to just be tough or hardcore, we're not going to be make the cut. Just like if you're not tough and hardcore in prison, you're going to get your ass kicked. And so it's survival. And then we get out and then we have all this like built up, like I got to be this big old badass. You know, I would, I'm an empath and I care about people's feelings more than anything. And I always worry about what they think. And that's why I'm giving back now to save others from the trauma I've gone through. But when you're, you know, um, I know that in the last several years, up until recently, um, I had the attitude of, I'm going to be a dick. I'm going to be an asshole because that gives me more self-esteem. And that's what bullies start out with. But I never bullied anybody. I just on social media would said, I just be that tough character. And I'm not. And I realize I hurt inside and a lot of other people do. And it's okay to peel back that onion and find that inner strength by finding that inner weakness first. I think Ashley had something to add in. And I also wanted to hear how all that applies to the last prisoner project, some of your um, prisoner releases as well. Yeah, thank you, Steve. And thanks, Andrew, for sharing uh, the conversation about incarceration and growing up. Uh, my father was incarcerated. So I went time, the script was a bit different then, you know, I was getting that same lecture through the D.A.R.E. program and such, and visiting my father who was incarcerated for cannabis distribution. And um, so I'd, I'd love to pose the question since this conversation is about overcoming trauma, you know, that is traumatic in itself going to visit today's script. That's traumatic in itself to visit someone who's incarcerated for cannabis, especially when it's legal in their state. How can someone overcome that trauma? It's hard to understand in today's climate. What what advice would you have for that? It's a very hard thing that we're talking about. My family was blessed in the sense that neither my brother and I, with any of our arrests, had to do really hard long core time in prison. So we were blessed with that. A lot of people are not so lucky and are have loved ones that are long-term prisoners. And that causes a whole nother level of trauma. You know, going to visit someone who's locked up for six months is a lot different than going to visit someone who's locked up for six years. So, um, if you are in a family in that situation and you're the person, the, the person locked up only has so many therapeutic options available to them. Um, we at Last Prisoner Project have a program where we put the, the, the commissary counts in prison, just so your listeners know, you don't have an unlimited amount of money that you can put into a commissary account. They strictly limit it to about three or $400 a month. And that account is your lifeline to the outside world. That's where you get anything from art supplies because you want to be a painter in prison to better food to eat. Like, And most of it's not necessarily healthy food, but at least tastes better than the food, the slop they feed you in prison to writing supplies so you can write letters to your loved ones. It all comes through the commissary account. And so if you're locked up, the, 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 having that account full all the time so that you can buy all those things is your lifeline to the outside world. So Last Prisoner Project raises money. We're a nonprofit. And then we give money to our constituents that are locked up and we try to max out their commissary accounts. 
if you are visiting someone who's locked up, you have more healing options available to you, whether it be medical cannabis, whether it be talking therapy, whether it be... Wait, um, did you say medical cannabis to prisoners is allowed? I'm sorry if... Uh, no, people visiting them. Um, if you're in a state that... Oh, for if you're traumatized as a parent and things that can help you. Yeah, or, or even an adult child or or, or, or whatever, you, 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 you know, medical cannabis or even adult use cannabis um, might be helpful to, to, to deal with that situation. I think that you got to take really good care of yourself, um, um, your mind, body, spirit. People do that in different ways. Some people meditate, some people pray, some people go to church, some people um, do breathing exercises, some people consume psychedelics on occasion, some people um, have a talking therapist, some people take, uh, some people have to take antidepressants or s other pharmaceuticals to help them build a bridge to a non-pharmaceutical life. Um, beyond pharmaceuticals, what we're all trying to do here. We don't want to be on pharmaceuticals. That's exactly what we're foundation under. It, uh, we're founded under, I'm using this term, the unprescribed comes from that whole point. And our, our, our mission is the unprescribed refer to the people that who have found natural healings or come off of the pharmaceuticals. Yeah. So I'm glad you, you're bringing this up in, in that manner because it's completely relatable. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I wanted to make that connection because I found it very valuable. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just when you're suffering from trauma and you're in a family with somebody who's locked up, it's just enormous, the pressure and the strain. No one can imagine that unless you've been through it. Um, it's just impossible. It's just like the military experience. No one knows what the military experience is like unless you've been through it. You simply do not know what it's like. I don't know what it's like. My family wasn't in the military. and I mean, my dad got drafted, but... He was out of the military for decades by the time I came along. And so, you know, we I didn't have that experience. Um, and so we don't know what it's like. Uh, and so it's just important that you take care of yourself and that you realize that this thing you're going through that's been imposed on you by really an unjust society that's treating your family in a very cruel and unusual manner that's completely wrong in every way morally and and just in every every way just wrong you have to live with that you have to live that you're locked up for something that's shouldn't you shouldn't be locked up for and so does everyone in your family and it's probably ruining your ability to make a living it for sure is bankrupting you it's for for sure going to constrain your ability to make a living when you get out of prison it's going to impact your life for the rest of your life and the rest of the family's life. Even when you're out of prison and you've rebuilt your life and things are going well, there's still trauma that you have to deal with even then. You know, I have a great life right now that I've built for myself. I've come from an impacted family, but I still have a talking therapist. I still med have a meditation teacher. I do my exercises every single day. I have my relationship to plant medicine, you know, it's, I still have to do it. I still have to do the work um, because it, the impacts of this don't just go away. You have to keep making peace with those demons or, or sometimes they can affect our behaviors. And all of a sudden we're acting out 
from our traumatic selves, not from our, our highest, most actualized self. Right. So, you know, I'm sure veterans have this issue too, right? You just lose it for a second because you have PTSD or whatever it is. You just, you just lose it for a second and you go off on somebody and then, you know, you feel terrible. And, and it's the traumatic part of you that's doing that. It's not your your most high self that you've cultivated, that you've worked on. It's just this reaction that happens. Um, it, happen, it, it, it happens. It, it still happens. I just had a, a reaction the other day with just a minor setback that just had me blowing up in my family and afterwards having to explain that it, it's this adrenaline rush you're 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 when you get that that fight or flight instinct that's already been drilled into you that well, we need to go on like not only like the offensive but also the defensive because we kind of have shit fired at us now that's in our daily routine and i'm already high strung to begin with on top of that um we're coming short on time and i think ashley had a couple more questions but first we're going to take a short break And we're back. Go on, Ashley. Thanks, Steve. Um, I think one thing that's important for those who are in the younger generation, uh, coming visiting families who are still incarcerated, the messaging is so confusing to them. Wait, it's legal in my state, but my my father, whoever that loved one is, is incarcerated. So confusing. And how can we message that to make them feel that it's okay, but it's not okay? I know it's not okay, but to make them so this does not become a traumatic event for them in their life. What's what's the best messaging to these people? Well, I think that the most compassionate and wise messaging that we can give is that this is not your family's fault, what's happening to you. It is unfair and it is wrong and you're gonna, um, we can't make it go away for you, but we can help you survive it and hopefully when it's over help you re-enter into the world and overcome that's really it's about anyone who's going into prison of course you're really scared and anxious before you go and you're probably getting books that there's lots of books written about people to teach people how to survive prison so you're probably ordering those books and you're probably trying to eat the best food you can and, and visit with people you love before you get locked up and experience as much pleasurable things that you can't experience when you're locked up before you go in. But then once you're in there, um, you know, pretty quick, you, 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 you get into the general population and you sort of find your groove. It's still horrible um, and every day is a nightmare, but then support what people like Last Prisoner Project can offer some 
support to the prisoner and their family. We don't, we can't help every single prisoner and family, unfortunately. Um, I wish we could. Our budgets don't allow for that. Um, but we, we help a lot. We've helped a couple hundred people get $5,000 reentry grants, for example, this year. Well, that's that's a million dollars in reentry funds right there. So uh, now we've had to cut those grants down a little bit because we're running out of money and we've had to cut the grants down, I think, to 2500 each. But they, these are running out of money that you're giving to people is a great problem to have. Um, and so we're trying to raise more to right now as we That's speak. a great outlook. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's um, the way you got to keep going. I'm, we're, we're dealing with the same thing as a new brand new startup is I'm, I'm not a money guy. I'm a, I'm a passionate person. And, and my mom even had to remind me that we're like PBS. We depend on supporters like you to keep us going. It's yeah, important to remind everybody about that to keep these missions going. You need to make, you know, make make the contribution so you can help others. Yeah, it, it's very important. I, I, if you're a stoner or someone who loves plant medicine or just supports plant medicine, I would think about devoting a certain percentage of your after-tax income to donating to causes like yours or LPP or anything. You know other. what? One thing I think, I don't know if it was Ashley bring it up in another conversation I had or somebody else did, but I work with uh, a veteran uh, group, a couple of veteran groups out in California. And one of the things um, popularized and really pushed with the veteran community was SB 34, I believe it was. Um, do you you guys have any involvement with that? Um, well, our involvement- or, or what have you seen in your being in a California and, and so forth? Just what's your perspective on that? It took us forever that? to get that passed. It took us years and years. It took us about five or six years to get that passed. Real quick for everybody who's listening, Ashley, do you, can you explain the SB 34? It's a compassionate act that's not included in the original legalization. Can expand on that? Yeah. Uh, quick, easy, in a nutshell, is brands have the opportunity to offer free medical care, meaning cannabis, to veterans and those who qualify as medical recipients in the state of California and need more operators willing to set aside a certain percentage of their product in order to give that product to uh, med qualified medical patients in the state of California. And it's not just military, it's low income, right? Yeah, it's both. Um, Thank you. Go on, um, I'm going, um, Andrew. The genesis of this was really actually Harborside played a big role in this. So when we first opened, we had a care package program under the medical program. And we gave a gram and a half every week of free weed to our recipients. Um, a lot of them were vets. Um, a lot of them were just poor people, um, people living in poverty. And that program, I don't know, we must have given away hundreds of pounds of weed uh, through that program. And it was quite successful. And then when adult use came along, the regulators made it illegal to do that. Because they think everybody's getting high, right? They're just so out of touch with the reality of what this plant does to communities that they, they, they thought that the smart thing to do was not. They were worried about diversion. They're, they're more worried about diversion than they're worried about healing people. It's, it's really kind of a sick and twisted Explain Out. diversion just briefly. Diversion is when you take legal cannabis from a dispensary and you sell it in the black market or I'm, the, I'm gray market. the black market, the underground market, black markets, kind of a racist term, the underground market. 
Okay, um, it's so ingrained in us. We still even, I still even use racist terminology, even though I'm <laughs> pretty anti-racist. But um, but the underground market, right? So they don't want legal weed getting to the underground market. So that's why they have the seed to sale tracking system and all this packaging and barcodes and all this other stuff. And none of it works. There's still a ton of diversion. If you go to any of the gray market clubs in New York, you'll buy California weed in them um, that came from the legal market. So it's really just this absurd absurdity. Um, and, um, and, and it's, again, the public policy people don't understand how the plant works in the community. And so they assume that there's no weed in the community. <laughs> and um, and and that no one can get it except in the legal shops and and so somehow they're going to buy really expensive weed in the legal shop and sell it in the underground traditional market where the weed is already cheaper there that doesn't come so it 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 you know it's kind of absurd so but it took us years to reinstate the care package program and Unfortunately, in Sacramento, when you go to do these things, oftentimes you're forced to compromise. And so one of the compromises that had to be made is the dispensaries are no longer the ones that give away the free medicine. It's the manufacturers and the cultivators that do it. So it, it makes it very hard to implement a robust program. It would be much more efficient if the, if the dispensary did it. But again, the dispensary worried about diversion, so they didn't want the dispensaries to do it. So it's it's sort of a half solution, you know. Um, right. but, but now, if you're if you're really in need, whether you're a vet or anything, and you work really hard, you can find someone somewhere in California that has a program that will you can get some free weed from. Oh, you right. might have to drive four hours to get it. Um, um, but you can probably find that now. Like I know a company, Jetty, Jetty does this. Jetty does it right here in Oakland. Uh, and then there's some veteran groups like Weed for Warrior, uh, that yeah. they actually go out there and they'll deliver it to homeless vets and tents and things like that, which is great. Yeah, 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 man. It can be done, but you have to work pretty hard at it. In the 215 days or the medical days, we call it 215 because that was the name of the, 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 the initiative. But um, in the 215 days, you just walk into a dispensary that had one of these programs sign up. And as long as you were a patient, you know, you would, you would, and it's easy to become a patient in California in those days. Um, cost you about $35. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and, and you could get it for free and it, it was a lot more accessible, you know, um, than it is now. But I, I think it's a step. Legalization means we become, we, we transform ourselves from activists to political operatives. And that means we have to manage what I call incremental, incremental change. I don't like incremental change. I like bold change. And I'm not very good at managing incremental change. That's one reason I'm not in Sacramento anymore. <laughs> um, uh, um, but, but there are people that are good at that. And they got AB 35 done. And they're going to get more reforms done. And, you know, hopefully California can emerge from the terrible malaise we're in right now and oh, start it's a mess you know what i want to that's a good segue into another subject of interest i know 
uh, right now you got a surplus, which you can help, you know, get rid of that with it, with that SB 34. <laughs> but on the other coast here, we're watching you guys in California for things. I'm also the uh, co-director for veteran outreach for Americans for safe access, the new Maryland chapter that we're starting up here. And, um, I'm on the fence about adult use versus medical, but they're pretty stark, stark um, uh, opponents about the adult use because of what it'll do to the medical community, i.e. it's going to it's going to take away, in our opinion, uh, a lot of the lab testing, which I understand you had had some influence on even getting that originated. And, and as a patient, I personally go for terpenes and look for cannabinoids other than THC. And I'm, I'm disappointed that CBD is bred out of THC because the conception of people just want to get high. So I'm an, I'm an advocate for education as well as um, whole plant and full spectrum healing. Can, you, can yeah. you talk a little bit more about that for us? Sure. Well, just so people know, when you take the natural flower of cannabis and dry it and cure it and grind it and inhale it, you're getting a full spectrum experience. You're getting the terpenes, you're getting the cannabinoids, you're getting whatever else is in there, right? Even the bad stuff. Um, so, but when you get, when you walk into a dispensary and you get something like a vape pen cartridge, most of those, not all of them, but most of them are made from a highly refined process and the oil, the active ingredient THC is removed from the plant and isolate it into a distillate and then made into an oil and then uh, um uh and then put into a vape yeah. pen cart and 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 usually with some other agent in there coconut oil or something to 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 make the viscosity right for the vape pen and that's not full spectrum experience um so you're only getting by and large thc or, or or sometimes if you buy cbd cannabinoid or delta 8 or something like that you might get those cannabinoids in there but you're generally not getting all the rest of the stuff in the terpenes some people add terpenes i back was gonna say later. absolutely some people are doing blends that that actually are helpful because you get more of it but then again where are they coming from if they're not the plant producing that yeah much, right? I, I, I i i it, it, there's a difference between non-cannabis derived terpenes and cannabis derived terpenes i like the cannabis derived terpenes better than the non-cannabis derived terpenes but some people say a terpene is a terpene it doesn't really matter um um uh and so for listeners a terpene is basically what a plant what gives a plant its smell or its body, its its effects, say what lavender gives you that calming effect is linalool. Yeah, right. Um, anything in nature that smells, that's a plant, it, it's basically a terpene. So, um, uh, and it's an oil. At the end of the day, it's a little oil. It's oils. It's oils that the plant has that the plant actually makes it. The, the plants, plants are great alchemists. They take the sun and they take other things from the earth and they make chemicals out of it. <laughs> Amazing. Um, um, uh, and those chemicals help them fight off bugs or survive, right? Or, or reproduce um, just like our chemicals that we have in our bodies help us survive and reproduce. But we uh, want the plant chemicals, right? We don't want the man-made chemicals put yeah. into something that we get from the plant. Cause you started yeah. with talking about the flower compared to the vapes now. And so what yeah, does that give I, us? Yeah. Yeah. I like, I saw, so look for, look for when the lab test when you look at the lab test result the more 
that's in that result in terms of cannabinoids and terpenes, the more full spectrum that process is for whatever that product is that you're buying. So, you know, just like food, when you buy a Dorito, it's a highly processed piece of corn, <laughs> basically highly processed piece of corn. Um, uh, uh, and it's the same thing with cannabis. You can, you can eat a piece of corn or you can eat a Dorito. Right. The Doritos got more bad stuff in it than the corn does. <laughs> but the you know what? Bad. That that gives me a, a recollection because one one thing I'm thinking about when going back to adult use versus medical things and this whole discussion is at one time um, I'm friends with Dr. Sue Sisley. She's the one who's oh, doing yeah. the research for PTSD and, and the plant and going to the lab testing, for example, she was getting moldy weed that wasn't even the strains that people are using on the streets. And that's why I'm a, a, an advocate for the medical side versus the adult use. Now, in her case, when I first met her, um, she agreed that adult use has its place and would actually save a shit ton of time because we don't have to go through all the FD trial, FDA trials and everything to get it out there. But on the flip side of that, going back to the lab testing, not necessarily looking for um, you know, the terpene contents and things like that, but the purity of it. We want to make sure that 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 medicine is mold free. It doesn't have any other like um uh pollutants on it or or, or agriculture what do you use to get the bugs is pesticides and other things like that. You know, we want we and that's where I'm I'm concerned about the adult use versus the medical side. Um what is your what is your view on on it from that perspective? Well, I'm I'm in the all uses medical camp, um, and that's so, understandable. I just want to get a perspective. As I'm on the fence for both sides. I mean, look, I there's there's what we would like to see happen, and what is inevitable that will happen. Okay, so the way we preserve medical—that's where I want to get to. Yes, how can we? The preserve way we medical? preserve medical when adult use gets legalized is with the way we organize our businesses i mean there's nothing i i i was i'm a consultant and i work you know so i'm advising these folks in california and they were really successful in the medical program then it went adult use and 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 now they're like we're thinking about bringing back our nurse practitioners that met with our patients and our support groups mm -hmm. and, and you're our, in you're in public relations and i'm in public affairs and that's one of the things you got to think at long term you may be yeah, so, dollar sign going to adult use and then if you forget you come back to you have to think about your community and that's why corporations do psas and things to show what they're doing facebook is taking care of your security and running commercials right because you have to keep that in I, mind if I you think want, if you, what is it corporate I, social corporate responsibility or something like that right yes if and you want to serve medical cannabis patients with your business and business model you can do that. Doesn't matter if adult use is legal or not. You have to think of a different model. You're going to have to differentiate yourself from the adult use folks. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to offer something special for people, patients, and you're going to have to get really good at putting the patients and and first and and carrying the products that speak to them the most mm -hmm. and um and then reaching out to that community um and 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 then and let the adult use people go somewhere else um and 
because they're going to get cancer someday and they're going to have heart disease someday and they already have trauma and they'll be, they're there. Okay. Um, And I think that's the way that, that, because we're not going to be able to stop adult use legalization. ACE is not going to be able to stop it. I'm not going to be, nobody's going to be able to stop it. What we have to do is develop business models that speak to patients that are patient centric and they might have to be not for profit because it's more expensive to do that. It's but more expensive. I'm okay. also an advocate for adult use for this purpose, though. We're, we're Both of them are excellent because they're given back to the goodness in humanity in this manner. It's going to take away from the alcohol industry, which, you know which leads to, you know, so many negative things, drunk driving, uh, altercations, bar fights, spousal abuses, and all these other things. When we could bring us all together and make us happy again, wouldn't you as an, as even if you're a vertically integrated corporation, wouldn't you want to make sure that you're looking out for your customers' best interests by providing them not only a fight-free intoxicating beverage content or whatever, and also treat your family members. We could be the Johnson and Johnson of, of family materials in the in the plant field. What do you think of that? Um, it's a great vision. I wish I could uh, look. I started selling weed in high school because I knew that I would that the plant was doing something to people, and that it was a good thing. And that if if I could get the plant into more and more people's hands, the plant does most of the work for us. Are there bad people that smoke weed? Yeah. Are there, you know, super transactional people in the cannabis business who don't give a flying F about customers or patients or anything? Yes, they, mm-hmm. there are. <laughs> um, uh, and, you know, that, that's just the, the, the reality of being a legal business is that you're going to have all capitalism is going to do its thing. Mm-hmm. And that's why we need analysts, advisors like you to do that. And and yes, and capitalism and politics are always going to be a factor in this. So keep it, keep them straight, Andrew. Yeah, keep man. And, and, you know, it, we can always find our way if we're true to ourselves, I think, you know, um, and, and, and that may mean we have to do something smaller. It may mean we have to be non-for-profit. It may mean we have to sacrifice more than we would like to lord knows i have but again you can still you can create a great life for yourself you can i think one thing i wanted to note though just from the 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 comparison of the military to prisoners and why this means a lot today to talk to you about this our mission is to show folks that that trauma is trauma and it doesn't have to come from the military it does ptsd isn't a combat thing PTSD is happening right there in prison, or it's happening to the people who are getting incarcerated because of whatever life traumas they're at that are leading to cause whatever crime is leading to get in jail. Because a lot of a lot of crimes of passion because of all that adrenaline oh, yeah. in that fight. So there, there's some comparison in there. And my can my perspective and, and the biggest parallel is that reintegration concern. Like I didn't even know how to 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 just go about my daily routine without the rigor of the military. And, and the same thing in, in the prisons, right? You got a daily ritual, doors open at a certain time, right? But that, 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 that hits home. There's a lot of different things that, that tie in. And I want to keep this conversation going. So if we can, 
have you back in another episode or anybody else from LPP or even your brother. We would love to, to feature you guys. Yeah, I, 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 this is my mission is to share this and talk about this and, and, and gather more momentum, you know, so that we can heal more people. Trauma is trauma. We're surrounded by trauma in our society. It doesn't matter what your profession is. Doesn't matter what your income level is. Doesn't matter what kind of family you're born in. We just came out of a, we aren't even out of the pandemic yet. Now we've got the another one coming in with monkeypox and you know there's just a lot on every there's a lot of pressure on humanity right now and so we all have trauma so i think that what you're talking about is really universal i would love to come back and you know reach out to me or the lpp team um, i think you know how to get a hold of them and they would love to come too uh, especially our constituents and prisoners that that that's you know the the voices we're trying to elevate right now yeah, definitely, because I have a I have a personal friend who the last prisoner project helped, who was a veteran. In fact, his name is Sean Worsley, and I talked briefly with Stephanie about him, and uh, we'll we'll follow up with a new episode with, and try to bring them on the show as well. Ashley, D Andrew, I really thank you both for coming on board today and helping us out. For those who are interested in the Last Prisoner Project's mission, visit thelastprisonerproject.org or text FREEDOM to 24365 to donate and learn more. This has been a, a production of the Unprescribed Nonprofit. The Up Life is inspiring others to live the same, live the up life, and overcome your trauma. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. That's all the time we have for this episode. The Up Life is produced and directed by Steve Elmore. This show is made possible by the help of volunteers from the Unprescribed Nonprofit and supporters like you. The Up Life is part of the Alive Podcast Network. Live life unprescribed. Live the Up Life. The Unprescribed Inc. is a 501c3 charitable organization. You can make a tax-deductible contribution by visiting theunprescribed.org slash donate.html. Become a patron. Visit patreon.com slash theunprescribed. And follow us on social media at The Unprescribed.